A former child star finds a rough-around-the-edges protege. But can he guide her to the heights of success that he once experienced? Coming up next on Out of Touchstone. Yes, we've got Christmas in September. You know, it didn't have a lot of songs to choose from for this movie, just a couple of Christmas songs, but that one right there is entitled Cold Enough to Snow by a woman who's no stranger to movie soundtracks. That is, of course, Jennifer Warnes, who did uh, Up Where We Belong with Joe Cocker. Also, I've Had the Time of My Life in Dirty Dancing with Bill Medley. Welcome to Out of Touchdown. My name is Mike DeCalvin. On the other end of the Skype line is my fearless co-host, Chad Smart. Chad, how are you doing? Are you good to be? Are you happy to be back from our break? I am. You know, we were talking off air that it's been a while since you and I have done this show. It's been a while since we've done our other show. I I, I hope I remember what we're doing. <laughs> so I'm I'm supposed to just make snarky bad jokes, right? And you don't sell yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, and I just roll my eyes, but you can't see me rolling my eyes. Yeah, I mean, we talk about it as well, yeah, off the air. But um, yeah, I think you mentioned it. As well, in a Twitter post, one of our listeners had asked, oh, where we, where we were? And, and Chad basically said it best when he said, life gets in the way. Yeah, we both have had some stuff to deal with. Um, I can tell you that uh, my wife and I actually moved. We're out in the suburbs now. I love it out here. But uh, so now I'm recording from my brand new office, my studio at my house. And uh, I'm, I'm ready to get back. But there was definitely a time this summer where it was just like, We've saw so many movies, and it's like I need a, I need a little bit of a break from you know when we watch you watch as many touchstone movies and especially some of these Hollywood pictures, and and it was just like I could use a break, and I think we had you and I had been texting as well, and I think it was had something to do with the fact that the subject matter, and I specifically thought of two movies, and that was Alive and Blood in Blood Out, that were such heavy subject matter that it was like man I need a pause, and our next touchstone movie that we're going to talk about in the next episode is going to be a little bit heavy, too, so I'm not looking forward to that. But I'm ready to get back into the fold now as well, Chad. Yeah, me too. It, it, like you said, we just needed a, a break. You know, I joke that we could have said that we were, you know, releasing the season of 1993 in two parts like most streaming platforms do now. But, hmm. yeah, it, it just, you know, we've been doing the show for what now? Seven, eight years and uh, it's like 13 years. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like yeah. 27 years, and we just have never taken a break. So we've yeah. just got to keep uh, going on for the next 57. Well, actually, we've got three movies to discuss. Uh, one from Walt Disney Pictures, one from Hollywood Pictures. Of course, we're going to tie those back into the more important film that we discuss on these, on these podcasts, which is the Touchstone film. And for this particular episode, we will be talking about a film that was released on June 4th of 1993. And it's a wonderful comedy called Life with Mikey. From Touchstone Pictures, 
Michael J. Fox is back. I'm something of a celebrity. So what? He's a smooth-talking children's talent agent. I am using this new moisturizer. You look very moist. Who's finally wow. met his match. You found a little girl with some spirit. Find the chimney and shove yourself All right. out. Did you check her head with a little 666? Michael J. Fox. There was only two sixes. He got her just in time. <laughs> Life with Mikey, rated PG. Starts Friday, June 4th at a theater near you. Mike, I, I can't believe it took me this long to put this together. But the title of this film is Life with Mikey. Mikey loves life. Or he likes life. He really likes it. Oh, God. You know, I, I, that, that commercial haunted me when I was a little kid, I can tell you. <laughs> life with Mikey was uh, written by Mark Lawrence. He had spent five years as a writer on Family Ties. And when the show went off the air, he started developing this film. Uh, I read that it was originally, he really they wanted Eddie Murphy for the title role. Uh, I did see, and I think IMDb's trivia section says that he turned the film down in order to star in The Distinguished Gentleman, which I'm not going to fault him for that. You know how much we love The Distinguished yeah. Gentleman. Um, the director of the film was James Lapine. He was a well-established playwright and director on Broadway. He'd often collaborated with the legendary Stephen Sondheim, uh, most notably on Into the Woods, for which he won a Tony. And he's also did a play called Sunday in the Park with George, for which he won a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, he won another Tony for the musical Falsettos in 1992, and several of the cast members from that particular show make cameos in Life with Mikey. His only film credit to date was directing a 1991 drama film called Impromptu, which stars Judy Davis and Hugh Grant. Uh, of course, the titular Mikey is played by Michael J. Fox. He's appearing in his first Touchstone film, but he was making a return to Disney of sorts, his most recent role was as the voice of Chance, uh, the dog in Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. But he also made his feature film debut in the 1980 Disney film Midnight Madness. Chad, tell us, tell the listeners how awesome Midnight Madness is. Why this movie is not up on Disney Plus or Hulu, I, I don't know. We should get a Twitter campaign started. Midnight Madness is, is a great all-night scavenger hunt around Los Angeles. It also stars David Naughton, who went on to uh, you know, great acclaim in American Werewolf in London. This was during his I'm a Pepper phase, and I believe he also had a couple of albums that he released at, around this time as well. And mm -hmm. and it has, uh, I think I believe his name is Dirk Blocker, who is now on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But the greatest role in this film, <laughs> Eddie, I, I call him the man, Eddie the Man Deason. You know, he... His 80s output, late 70s, 80s output is just uh, second to none. And I, I'm very disappointed. He was at an autograph session the weekend before we record this episode, and I forgot all about it because that's uh, one that I would have actually paid to go and meet Eddie Deason because the world needs more D's. Yeah, and he had a he had a health scare too recently, yeah. didn't he? So I'm like, I'm glad to see he's he's at an autograph show. That hope he's doing better. Yeah, Midnight Madness. Stephen First is also in that, right? Like, yeah. it's it's such a it's it's really cool to see movies that are set in Los Angeles in the seventies and eighties, just to see what it looks like as compared to the the, the Los Angeles that we've been living in for the last decade. Yeah, and a and a cameo by Paul Rubens. Oh, he was in everything back then. <laughs> um, anyway, so Michael J. Fox had also spent seven seasons on Family Ties from nineteen eighty two to nineteen eighty nine, and of course he had appeared as Marty McFly in the Back to the Future trilogy. Um, he had transitioned to some adult roles as well, like Bright Lights, Big City, Casualties of War. He put out two movies in 1991. Chad, I don't know if you've seen either one of them, The Hard Way or Doc Hollywood. I saw Doc Hollywood back in the day, and I just watched The Hard Way probably in the last six, seven months. 
I remember seeing that back in the day. I think it was in high school when that mm-hmm. came, when that came out. And I think I saw was it L O Cool J one of his first acting roles. Yeah. Yes, I believe so. Good film. Uh, good the, film. So sure, yeah. The protege that that Chad was speaking of in our intro, uh, the character of Angie Vega is played by Christina Vidal, who was making her film debut. Not a lot to talk about with her other than the fact that she'd had two older sisters that were both actresses, Lisa and Tanya Vidal. And she only got the part after one of her teachers recommended that she go in audition. And she beat out, I think it was like thousands of other people or something like that. Yeah. But uh, uh, and then we've got Nathan Lane, who plays Mikey's brother, Ed. He'd had a lengthy stage career and was just coming off his first Tony nomination in 1992 for Guys and Dolls. He'd worked sparingly in television in the 1980s, had a handful of film credits like Ironweed, he said, she said, Joe versus the Volcano. I did not re- realize Nathan Lane was in Joe versus the Volcano. Uh, his most recent film was the 1991 uh, film Frankie and Johnny, which was starred Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer and was directed by Gary Marshall. Uh, you know, we always love our supporting cast. So uh, let's get just a brief little overview. We've got Cindy Lauper. You know, she'd only been in a couple of movies, Vibes, and another one called Off and Running, which I cannot say that I've ever heard of that. No. Um, we get David Huddleston. You cannot look at him without thinking. He's the Big Lebowski. He's 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 always the Big Lebowski. Even though he had a long career before that, he played Santa Claus in Santa Claus the movie. He was in Blazing Saddles. I, I had no idea as well. Um, we get David Krumholtz. We're going to talk about David Krumholtz in a minute because this is just like Christina Vidal. This was his film debut. He's one of those faces. You've seen him. He's done a bunch of television. He's done a bunch of movies. You know him. He is such an underrated <laughs> child star and has transitioned very well into some adult roles uh and then finally the, uh, we get a cameo from oh the multi, really multi-talented ruben blades who comes back to touchstone film uh for his first one since disorganized crime in 1988 uh, as we like to do on a show we always like to kind of we don't really do a review of the movie but we like to throw out some questions just to kind of uh get a banter going and and see, and so I always like to look, we look at the performances, also look at the script. We'll start with the performances in this case. Chad, I was going to mention to you, I think Michael J. Fox is perfectly cast, but do you think Eddie Murphy would have been okay in this role? Could he have done better? I feel like they both became famous when they were teenagers, but Michael J. Fox kind of has a baby face and I thought fit a little bit better. I think Michael J. Fox was at the right call for this film. I you know, I'm trying to think of what Eddie Murphy's output was around this time, besides Distinguished Gentleman. And I think he was probably starting the downward slide of, of films. Although if I actually looked at his IMDb page, I'd probably be corrected in, in this assessment. But I, I, I couldn't see Eddie Murphy playing this character. I just, you know, maybe give me a screen test. Let me see it. And then I may change my mind. But I think Michael J. Fox was... And maybe because he was coming off of, uh, you know, uh, Family Ties was still new, or still fresh in most memories. So he's got that Alex P. Keaton uh, persona, whereas Eddie Murphy would have been off Saturday Night Live for, what, 12 years by this point? 11, 12 years? Um, True. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize because Eddie Murphy was 19 when he was on Saturday Night Live when he first got the shop. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. Michael J. Fox was already 21 when he started on Family Ties. I thought he was a little bit younger. I don't know if he was supposed to be college age, right? Yeah, he was in high school when he started, yeah. And, I mean, it's probably all that Canadian poutine, you know. <laughs> that's wonderful for the well, force. He's the baby face, yeah. yeah. You know, and, I, and it's weird to say this because, I mean, I think of Eddie Murphy as being this great – he's he's good with, his, with facial expressions and mm-hmm. mannerisms, but I think Michael J. Fox is a better physical comedian. And it really shows in this film. Like, there was several scenes – where I was watching thinking like, is this going to, is this a stunt double? Mm-hmm. But you know, you, I'm, I'm so, I've seen enough movies in our life. Both of us have 
that you can spot, you know, you can tell no, when yeah. they're shooting around an actor. And there were a lot of scenes where you're like, oh, that's Michael G. Fox. He's being manhandled by some wrestlers. He's out there shooting a hockey puck. You know, I, it was it was kind of uh, it was a pleasure to see him him doing that physical comedy. Yeah, I, you know, I I just watched the movies that made us uh, on Netflix when they talked about Back to the Future and you know the whole story with Eric Stoltz doing a few weeks of shooting and then they fired him and brought on uh, Michael J. Fox. And I think if you watch that, it shows to your point. Like Michael J. Fox has that. Uh, just gets that character of, of physical comedy and knows how to work it better. Uh, or I shouldn't say better, but he just knows how to work it to make it fit the character in the scene. And yeah, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I have no, uh, I think that when I, when we get to the reviews, there's like one negative comment about uh, Michael J. Fox, but uh, in regards to his character, but no, I, I think Michael J. Fox was perfectly cast in this film. Yeah. Well, and then the, other, the next question I was going to ask you was basically involving the, the, the young talent in the film. I found them to be really incredible. You know, Christina Vidal is amazing. As I mentioned, David Krumholtz absolutely steals every scene he's in playing the character of Barry. Um, you know, there's some really great montages in the film where they show um, Mikey and Ed, Nathan Lane and Michael J. Fox kind of going through all these auditions and just kind of rolling their eyes with all these child actors. And I was thinking, like, do you think the casting agents for Life with Mikey went through the same ordeal? Because... They got some. They had some really good diamonds in the rough that they pulled out. Yeah, I'm sure every casting age, child casting agent who saw this movie probably um, had, you know, could relate and just like oh, someone finally captured it. But I also wonder, like, are the actors that are in the movie were they cast because they're not that great, or were they good but they could play not great? Like, do they know that they're not supposed to be good child actors? Um, yeah, that's tough too. Yeah. I don't, and you know, you mentioned David Krumholtz and I don't know what you know him from. I know him from the TV show numbers. Yes. And I don't care what he does. He will always be that character from numbers for me. So even as a young kid, that's, uh, I had a hard time separating that character from, from, um, from this character in this film, but he did cause he still has the face. He's still got the face. Yeah, he's still kind of. And what's funny is when you see him as a young man, he still looks like he's a grown up. Yeah, you know. And then you see him as an older man, and then he looks like a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I remember him on a, a. He was on a TV show called Chicago Sons, hmm. and then if I remember correctly, I thought. Well, of course, he's in Ten Things I Hate About You, right? As well, so he'll be coming back to Touchstone in a, in a few years. And then I could have sworn he did a. He did a TV movie about. It was based on a real life story about a point shaving scandal. At a, at, a, at a college basketball team. Uh, and it was like he played, it was, it was called Big Shot, Confessions of a Campus Bookie. And I remember that one too. And he was really good. That was like, again, he's supposed to be a college student. So it's like, he, done, he does kind of have that. He's that baby face just like Michael G. Fox does. But I did like, I did like him a lot. Yeah. In that film. And then, like I said, the only, I mean, the, the child actors, you make a good point. Like I've heard supposedly one of the hardest things to do for an actor is to pretend like you can't act. Mm-hmm. You know, my father used to always talk about this Marilyn Monroe movie called Bus Stop. Because she played in the movie, she plays this character who can't sing, and realized she really could sing. And he was—he always said that's the performance that everyone should be talking about with Marilyn. Is that because how hard would it must must it have been to her for her to pretend like she couldn't sing? And so, yeah, so those montages when you see the kids auditioning, yeah, you're right. Maybe they are playing down to their abilities or whatever. But I did like the montages. It kind of played out like a Greek chorus. That was kind of that was kind of fun. The only real performance that I. I, I wasn't really overly impressed with was Cindy Lauper. And I was going to ask you to me, it felt like stunt casting. What did you think? 
So I will start by saying, have you ever seen the movie Vibes? I have not. Okay. After watching Life with Mikey, I went back and watched Vibes. Because I wanted to, it was the only other film that I knew Cindy Lauper had been in. And so I wanted to see how she was in that. And that movie is not great by any stretch of the imagination, but she is really good in that film. Really? So I just felt in Life with Mikey that they didn't give her enough to do. So it's sure. more, it's kind of like, I guess you can say stunt casting in the fact that you have a, a character being played by someone that when you ever they're on screen, you're like, oh, look, it's Cindy Lauper. It's Cindy Lauper. But I think, or I'm sorry, it's Cindy Lauper. If you know, you know. And I just feel like I wish they would have given her a, a better role or a more meaty role, something to do in this film. But um, she was fine. But yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I think that role could have been played by anybody. Yeah, so I'm curious. It would have been better just to throw a character actor in there yeah. rather than rather than like, oh, look, it's Cindy Lauper, you know. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Um, okay, well, I don't know if you got anything more to say about performances. I was going to go into you know, someone. I'll, I'll just go of, back to, real quick to Christina Vidal. You know, because we okay. we, to counterbalance the David Krumholtz discussion, I did not realize I Christina Vidal is not an actress that I'm I'm familiar with name wise, but looking up her IMDb credits, she has two roles that uh, I watched in the last year, and one of those is she was on an ABC series last uh, I think after the last season. It was called United We Fall with her and. Uh, Name for escapes me. He was on Mad TV, but uh, and Jane Curtin played her mother-in-law, and hmm. so I watched that. It's all I think it's like eight episodes. Watched the entire run, and then she was also in the WWE film See No Evil, which was one of their ah. first. Which I just watched uh, probably like four months ago for another podcast, and I couldn't have told you that she was in that film. So, <laughs> and I'm really surprised because you know I think she, her performance is very well. You know, I can understand why she has gone on to have a successful career because I thought she was also really well cast and really and did a really good job in this film. Yeah, she's she's absolutely outstanding for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, um, well, yeah. As far as posing questions about the script itself or the production, mm-hmm. I, I really thought that this movie was you know it had a great look at problems facing child stars, especially as they age. And I was going to ask you, like, you know, how difficult is it to transition to a normal life? after childhood fame like did you and did you think it was weird to see michael j fox smoke and drink because i was not ready for that uh well i've watched bright lights big city so i think he does more than smoke and drink in that film but and casualties of war as well oh sure um but there's one scene actually i think it's when he's it's not when he's chasing after her for the first time but they they come into i think uh, where they're shooting um one of David Krumholtz's commercials. And I'm pretty sure when he enters, he doesn't have a cigarette. Then he has a cigarette in his hand when he's talking. And then the cigarette disappears mm. afterwards. So um, oh, okay. I, I didn't care enough to really go back and rewatch, but uh, someone else, if you're watching, you can let me know. Um, yeah. You know, I obviously neither one of us were child stars. We're not adult stars either. So mm. we can't, but it is interesting to watch, you know, the, the stars that we grew up with and see how they transition, transition into being an adult and either being still successful and having a lengthy career or being known primarily for this one thing, you know, and I, yeah, you know, and I, I think probably the, the best example to look at both that, that we can take from one show is you look at the guys from say by the bell 
And, you know, Mark Paul Gosler okay. has uh, continued to act and do different roles. Mario Lopez went the pretty much just the um, hosting hosting route. route. Yeah. And then you yeah. had, unfortunately, Dustin Diamond, who, you know, no fault of his own, but no matter what he did, he's going to be Screech. And, yeah. and again, you know, I think we've discussed it off air before, too. It's like his persona in the early 2000s, was that him or was that a persona of him trying to just keep his name out there and knowing that if he didn't like the Screech character, acted like he didn't like it, then people will pay to see that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting to see. And, and you know, I, I cannot speak towards any child actor because each one, you know, it all depends on their lives, their parents, their, the guidance that they have in life. Sure. And, you know, I, I even think like now... Um, thinking of a quote from Justin Bieber who uh, has looked back at his past life. And he's like, look, I was 12 years old and I was handed the world. I'm going to be a jerk because I don't know any other way. And people are allowing me to do that. So yeah. I think that, you know, I think that takes a big toll as well. Yeah. I feel like, you know, we've obviously had child actors since the beginning of mm-hmm. film, you know, um, but other than maybe Judy Garland, which that didn't come out until years later mm-hmm. about what she went through. Like it feels like a lot of them became well-adjusted adults for the last, I mean, you don't really hear about those, those, those tragic horror stories. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just our generation. Maybe it's Mm. because I'm so biased, but I feel like it wasn't until like the late seventies, early eighties, the different strokes, for example, was a good, was a good example. And I think that's, what's interesting about this movie is it's set around that same time frame, right? Like Mikey, the the show that he's on is supposed to be taking place in the late seventies, early eighties, which would have been different strokes time frame, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's neat to see, like, he's not just, he's not a total burnout. Mm-hmm. Like he just, okay. So he's just uh he's kind of, he's a bit of a slob and he, and he's trying to hold this fledgling talent agency together, but he's still kind of relying on his charm, his baby face and people know him from this old show. So like, I think it's interesting how it parallels what we remember because I feel like there's been so many, you know, a true Hollywood story was created for, for the child stars of the late seventies and early eighties, you know, and that's why I think particularly, I, I want to call attention to there's one scene that I really, really loved. And it's, he's, tr- he, Angie has moved in with him and he's trying to convince her to go to school, you know, which she doesn't really want to. And he has to explain to her how he is like, this is, this is what the school I went to. And I remember that scene re- very vividly. You want to know about my school? My school was a trailer outside the life of Mikey set. It was me, the girl who played my sister on the show, who incidentally is up for parole in a couple of months, and this uh, 73-year-old Mennonite woman with halitosis and a hearing aid named Miss Mitchell. Yeah, and? And I never got to know any other kids. Can you imagine what my prom was like? (laughs) I don't care. I'm not going to school. And put that out. Don't you ever read what secondary smoke does to kids? Lucky for me, I don't have any kids. That's right. I'm not your kid, so I don't have to listen to you. Yeah, you do. And you're going. Well, I mentioned it earlier that, uh, you know, in the film, Michael J. Fox's character is, like, slobby, very comically slobby. There's lots of references to the odd couple, especially there's this one, there's one breakfast scene where they're just, it's, it's kind of gross where he's showing how 
he doesn't really take care of the food that it's in his fridge. But I was going to ask you, did you know? Did this? Did it seem like the script was a little too cute and aimed squarely at kids. Yeah, there. I mean, this film is is basically you know what you're getting, and I think it, it is pretty much geared towards kids as the target audience. And as we've said before with other films, a good film will have multiple layers, even if it's aimed at kids. And this one, I think, is uh, you know, it's it's it's, it's one shelf, if you will. Now, that's the thing. That's the thing. I kind of, I thought it did have layers, but I really feel like it was marketed towards kids, and I think that's why. Well, we're going to get into it later when we get into the box office. It didn't quite do that well, but yeah, I mean, I know it's very. It was a very conventional script. You know, once you're once the movie gets going, you kind of know what beats they're going to follow, what's going to happen. You know, you know, Angie's father's going to show up. Mikey and his brother are going to argue about the business. Mikey and Angie are going to have a falling out. But at the same time, I I, I really had a nice time with it. Mm-hmm. Like. I, like I said, as soon as you as soon as you get 15, 20 minutes in the movie, you know what's going to happen. And yet I, I was enjoying it. And I think part of that is just Michael J. Fox's charisma and watching the incredible performance of Christina Vidal, you know. And I, I mean, I hate to call attention to David Krumholtz again. You know, it was funny, though. I was going to ask you, was it weird seeing that like they, they kind of wanted to do like a childhood romance for Angie's character? Where it's like one of her classmates has a crush or whatever. And then, you know, David Krumholtz's character kind of puts the moves on her. But. When he does it, it's sort of funny because he's got good comic timing. But I really felt like the other stuff with her and that boy were was a little bit weird. I'm mm-hmm. not used to seeing kids that age dealing with romance, even though they, they might do that in school. Yeah, well, I would just say if you haven't watched the movie Little Darlings, uh, check that out. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think we could have done without the, the romantic subplot. And I think that's um, – I don't know if that's just a, um, a go-to script you know, plot device, but I, I would have, I think a better way. And it's always easier to sit back and critique things after they've been made and you know how they come out, but a better option could have been because Kremholtz is, you know, this, uh, the star client and he's threatening to leave, put him up against Angie in for a commercial role and see which one they go with and have uh-huh. that be a driving force for conflict. Okay, Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that, that might border on some conventionality, but it's, yeah. it's different enough. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, before we get into the, the critics reviews here in a second, I, I, I was just going to mention, like, just want to reiterate that I, I didn't mind. You know, the movie put a smile on my face for a, a, a nice, sharp 91 minutes. <laughs> as soon as I saw the runtime, I was like a little bit more eager to watch it. Uh, but yeah, like I said, it's we watch enough movies, you know, what's going to happen in a lot of them. But, you know, I didn't mind it. Oh, yeah, I didn't mind it. I, I mean, it, you can be conventional and still be entertaining. And I think this movie definitely captures that essence. But what did the other prominent critics of the era have to say, Chad? Well, what do you think they had to say? Old old people watching kid movies. Um, first off, we go to our esteemed colleague. Uh, he's really probably not a colleague, but he's our go-to reviewer on the show. It is Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. And he said... What makes the movie watchable is Christina Vidal's performance. She's a bright, no-nonsense type who plants her feet and de- who plants her feet and delivers her lines and looks Fox square in the eye. Too bad that Fox seems adrift most of the time. It's almost as if he neither as if neither he nor the director made a clear decision about what his character would be like at the beginning and end of the film and how to get from one point to another. Fox seems so unfocused that even though he has spent years practicing, he can't even puff on a cigarette in a way to convince us he's a real smoker. <laughs> See, that's what I told you. It did seem a little bit weird. 
Yeah, and then he continues. Uh, I left the movie wondering why the screenplay was even considered filmable. There's nothing compelling about it, nothing original. Life with Mikey is a genial, genial, genial. Uh, that's the word I'm looking for. Is a genial, aimless movie of low ambition, and that's a shame because Christina Vidal at least deserved better. Two stars. See, again, we go back to like that's why sometimes I can't take critics' reviews at mm-hmm. their at their face value because it's like. They've seen so many movies. I hate when people say it's not right. original. Well, you've seen every. You get <laughs> right. to watch every movie, so it must get bored for you. Yeah, yeah, I can attest to that. Uh, and then I have uh, R- Rita Kempley from the Washington Post. An uneven look at the reclamation of a former child star. Life with Mikey has the strangely amiable feel of a cult movie for the peanut gallery. It's camp and cutesy all the same time, like a kiddie car ride down Sunset Boulevard with an aging Gary Coleman behind the wheel. Caught somewhere between a spoof and a celebration of child-powered sitcoms, it only hints at the real toll of being a has-been teen. Uh, see, uh, well, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I'll yeah. I'll let you know on a on a scale of one to ten, Chad. Actually, I will I will say I gave it a seven yeah. because mm. I, I mean we we talked about it at the beginning of the show. We took some time off from this show to, to mm. attend to some personal matters. This to me was like one of the perfect movies to relaunch the show, <laughs> like because it was I, I kept knowing kept knowing all summer. Okay, what's the next movie we got to watch? Life with Mikey, Life with Mikey, and I'm like, you know what? Ninety one minutes. When I did watch it, like I said, it, it had a smile on my face. I, I thought it was very charming and well staged. It has an outstanding cast, and they're all perfectly suited for their roles. So, uh, you know, and I've been telling coworkers, hey, check out Life with Mikey. You know, it's I I, I can't recommend it enough, even if it is somewhat conventional. Well, I. <laughs> See, and for me, this is the hard part because I am like you. I would, I would say, watch this movie if you haven't seen it. It's a fun, quick ninety-one minutes, but there's nothing that I can really recommend to say. Go out of your way to see it if you if you haven't seen it. You know, if if you have a a watch list already made of other films, there's nothing to to make me say put this at the head of that list. Unless, you know, you're watching stuff like Cats and um, Hello mm. Again and another movie that we'll get to <laughs> in a few minutes. But, um, yeah, I gave this movie a four just because, Oh, again, I found it very middle of the road with, uh, with the exception of gr- the performances. There's nothing to put it over the top to make me really want to go back and rewatch the film. So okay. it's, it's like daming with faint praise where I didn't hate the movie, but I just don't like the movie enough to really ever go back and rewatch. You're like Roger Ebert. You watch too many movies. So yes. And that, that is true too. So. <laughs> All right. Well, from a trivia standpoint, I, I joked with you off the air that um, I had some trivia questions for you. Mm-hmm. And when we get some of, some of these uh, little trivia tidbits, um, the first one I noticed is that the score was done by the great Alan Minkin, who was just mm-hmm. coming off of uh, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid. He also wrote the music for the song we played in our intro, which is Cold Enough to Snow. You know, I, I love his work, but I did think, I don't know about you, I thought the score was really intrusive. You know, I was trying to pull clips from the movie for what we drop in, and it was always, there's always music playing in the background. There's a scene where Michael J. Fox is talking to Ruben Blades, and Ruben Blades is at a, a rehab facility, and this really tender moment, all of a sudden the score just kicks in. It was like, ah, oh, man, Minkin, it's not, we're not dealing with animated characters here. Roll it back a little bit, a little bit. See, and that I guess I am so not musically inclined that I those are things I don't pay attention to. Unless I, I mean, there have been some films that I find very jarring in their in their uh, score and their music, but this is not one of them. So, okay. yeah. uh, 
Um, we always like to get any opportunity on Out of Touch and talk about wrestling. One of our, one of my favorite things when I was a little kid, obviously Chad's got a great passion for it, still does podcasts to this day. Uh, there's a scene that features WWF stars Jeff Jarrett and Jerry the King Lawler. I was going to mention to you, Chad, when I was watching it, my wife asked me, she's like, are those real wrestlers? And I said, I do believe that's Jerry the King Lawler. I could not spot the other guy. I yeah. didn't know who the other guy was, but I was like, I'm pretty sure. Even he had to get a mask on, too, didn't he? Yeah, Lawler was... played a masked wrestler. And at this point, when this movie came out, uh, Jeff Jarrett would not have been a huge national star. He was still been working okay. down in the Memphis, Nashville territories. Um, his dad and, and Jerry Lawler, I believe, co-owned a promotion in Memphis. And so huh? that's where... Um, you know, that's where a guy by the name of Flex Cavana was sent to uh, start his wrestling career. Of course, now we know him as The Rock, or now we know him as Dwayne Johnson. But Dwayne Johnson, uh, yes. Um, this is this is why I love I love just throw the wrestling nugget out there yeah. and let Chad just bring it back. Yeah, like I mean, I I enjoyed the I don't know why I enjoyed the King Lawler, but I still was I was like. Huh. Yeah. I think that guy looks really familiar, and I think I know who that is. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm surprised you caught him with the mask on and and whatnot. But you know, at this time too, Lawler would have been popular because this would have came years after the Andy Kaufman um, situations oh, yeah. uh, or matches, yeah. feud that they had, and you know, the appearance on Letterman. And, and really, I didn't know Jerry Lawler. I knew of Jerry Lawler at this time, but it wasn't until he became an announcer in WWF around 1993. So probably about the time that this came out. Um, he may have made his been been an announcer at that time, but yeah, Lawler's one of those ones that never. He was more of a local star, uh, wrestling wise, than he ever was as a uh, WWE star or WWF at the time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And the, and the trivia question I was going to ask you was what what's what's the other wrestling connection with this film? But you kind of alluded to what I was going at, which mm. was that Christina Vidal would go on to star, and I think it was the very first film by WWE Films, oh. See No Evil. Starring uh, Kane, is that his name? Yes, the mayor of Knox, Knox County, Tennessee right now, Glenn Jacobs. Yeah, he's actually a politician that cracks me up. We mentioned before that James Lapine had won a Pulitzer for the play Sunday in the Park with George. The star of that play was Mandy Patinkin. He had also appeared in Impromptu, and he has a very brief cameo in this film. You can't even spot it. He, he, Michael J. Fox peels off in a car and almost, hit, uh, almost hits another car, and he gets out as like an irate, passenger and like chases the guy down you wouldn't even have spotted it chad i was going to pose the question to you mandy patinkin just did two touchstone films do you remember them the doctor the doctor was one yes and yep that one too he did uh oh man he was 88 keys and dick tracy oh that's right yes yes yeah yeah and then the last bit I got is, it always cracks me up when I see it, because now it's the fourth time it's happened in a Touchstone film. We see a character singing Zippity-Doo-Dah. Chad, on top of your head, can you name the other three Touchstone films which feature a character singing Zippity-Doo-Dah? I believe one is Dana DeVito in Ruthless People. That's correct. And that's all I have off the top of my head, so I'm not going to drag this bit out. So I'll let you inform the listener and myself, what are the other two? Well, the, the first Touchstone film, of course, Tom Hanks sings oh. it in Splash. And then the other one is a little bit lesser known, but it's still zippity doo And there's a scene in True Identity where Frank Langella is humming the song as he walks down a flight of stairs. 
But uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, we always like to look at if there's like any legacy of the film. Uh, you know, there's never obviously never a sequel. I'm honestly, honestly surprised they didn't just try to do a TV show out of this. I, I think you could really mine this for some good material. Oh yeah, and with Disney Plus now, I, you know, I can see them doing a a show for for there. You know, if they're going to do Turner and Hooch, and um, I don't know what else they have coming up, but I think there are some other film film adaptation to TV series that they are working on. So I think a Life with Mikey. TV show would work because then you could have more than one client in the yeah. show. Yeah, I, I honestly, I would, I'd rather watch this than a Turner and Hooch show. That's for <laughs> sure. Yeah, and then I did see that it was mentioned in the either in IMDb or in Wikipedia that in 2001, Michael J. Fox made his last appearance on the sitcom Spin City in an episode called Wife with Mikey. So, interesting little tidbit there. Uh, personnel connection. We always like to see that we had any kind of personal connection that we run into any of the stars. Uh, I mean, I've seen Cindy Lauper in concert. Chad, mm-hmm. I think you were with me at that show, right? Yeah, that was the Storytellers show where she did the entire She's So Unusual album and told us the backstory on every song and talked so much she ran out of time that she didn't have time to do an encore. <laughs> she ran into the curfew that yeah. they set at the Greek theater where she literally had to, when she did her encore, she just blew right <laughs> through it. She, she didn't even talk anymore. But I, and I was going to, I asked you off the air as well, but. Have you ever seen Jeff Jarrett or Jerry the King Lawler, whether it be in a match or in one of those signing conventions? Uh, I've seen them wrestle many, many times. Uh, Jeff Jarrett started the promotion, which is now known as Impact. When he started, it was called TNA. And they were based out of Nashville. So I made when I was living in Illinois, I lived like a three hour drive away. So there were several times we made uh, trips down to uh, to uh, Nashville, to the fairgrounds. If uh, if you are a wrestling fan out there and you have the Impact streaming service, you can go look at episode eight. Uh, the show starts off with a match between Shark Boy and the Amazing Red. The cra- the camera cuts to a guy in the crowd dressed like Shark Boy. I am not saying that is me. I am also <laughs> not saying that it is not me. Uh, uh, yes, and I actually, you know, it's funny. Had I had we watched this movie two months ago, um, I definitely would have have changed events of one day recently. I was in uh, recently in Metropolis, Illinois, which is an actual city. It is the home of Superman. And every year they have Superman celebration. And we were, some friends and I uh, were there and Jerry, the King Lawler was doing a autograph signing in one of the, um, it's not really an antique shop. It's more like a collectibles shop, I guess would be. But uh, I I walked by him. I uh, looked at some of the artwork that he had drawn up um, but I did not get a picture with him. But had I known that he was in life with Mikey, I definitely would have. I, I'm kicking myself, so maybe next year I'll yeah. go back. But yeah, if you are also if you are a Superman fan and you have not been to Superman Celebration, it's a thing. So you can check it out. Well, I'm going to implore you because I know how many wrestling events you go to in a year. Yeah. If you do ever see him again, you got to go up and talk to him about life with Mikey. Oh, I will now. Curi- yes. Yeah, I'd be curious if if he would if he would like. So it's like whenever you spot an actor out in public and you mention a really obscure movie they were in rather than a really famous movie. Mm-hmm. And usually the, their eyes light up and they love to tell you more about it because he probably gets asked every wrestling question under the sun. But how many people actually reference a 1993 Touchstone mm-hmm. film? But uh, again, a, a good 1993 Touchstone film, in my opinion. Well, wrap up by just saying, Chad, again, I thought it was a total crowd pleaser. It has a Disney ending, you know, and mm-hmm. it plays out like a Charlie Chaplin film. But. I was pleasantly surprised. Any final thoughts on the movie? Uh, you know, my my four rating probably seems very harsh, but uh, it's it's not. It's just this movie is it's entertaining. As I said, entertaining. Just there's, don't look for it for anything. You know, it's not reinventing the wheel 
it's not doing that. So, but if you just want 91 minutes of entertainment and good performances, then life is my wait. Life with Mikey is the life you should lead. And I'll just end by saying that this Mikey liked it. Excuse me. I can't do this. Yes, you can. Just relax, all right? You're going to be fine. It would be easier if you just let me talk like a real person. I hate it when it's raining. I should have known. It's my favorite little sunny friends. I mean, it's like a cookie for manic depressives. <laughs> okay, it's stupid. You're right. It's a stupid line. But it's no more stupid than... I hope little Jimmy gets a Batman doll for Christmas because he really wants it. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's pretty stupid. But that's what show business is all about. Acting like an idiot. It's not you, you're just doing your job. You know what I mean? Look at it this way. Most people feel like idiots most of the time, but they don't get paid for it. Relax, you're going to be fine. I know what an idiot you can be. Well, as we've done on this new reformat of the show, we like to look at some other films that Walt Disney put out around the same time and just kind of compare them back to our Touchstone film, in this case, Life with Mikey. Uh, the first one we're looking at was released by Hollywood Pictures, and it came out on March 26th of 1993, and it's a remake of a classic film, and it's called Born Yesterday. From Hollywood Pictures. Last night I started thinking, and I couldn't fall asleep for 10 minutes. They said Billy Dawn would never be more than a Vegas showgirl. Oh, on a stupid side. What do you know? You open beer cans with your teeth. Now they're learning. I'm not taking it anymore. To never underestimate the power. You're Harry's boss. Of an underestimated woman. Am I in the room? Melanie Griffin, John Goodman, Don Johnson. Born Yesterday, directed by Luis Mandoki, rated PG. Starts Friday, March 26th at a theater near you. This was based on a play by Garson Kanan. You know, the, the original film came out in 1950. It won Judy Holliday an Oscar for Best Actress. Also stars one of my favorite actors. Like me, like Chad, like Roger Ebert, William Holden is also born in Illinois. Um, the remake of Born Yesterday had been in development for decades. Sometimes it was a musical. I saw articles that said, like, Frank Sinatra was attached to it at some point. He was trying to cast people with them, and they just couldn't put it all together. Uh, the final screenplay that they shot this film off of was written by Douglas McGrath, and he was a TV writer. He'd only really done one season of Saturday Night Live back in 1980-81, so I think he'd been developing this for quite some time. The film was directed by Luis Mandoki, and he was a prominent Mexican filmmaker who had just made his American film debut with a 1990 film that I know Chad sang the praises of. It was called White Palace. Uh, have you seen White Palace? No, no, I have not. I remember you talking about it because it's set in St. Louis. It's right? set in St. Louis, and what I, I what I loved about the movie, and I had never put into a connection. What is another word for a palace that is one of our <laughs> favorite places that also includes the word white and serves one of the best hamburgers around? White Fortress. Yes, yes. Uh, Susan Sarandon's character works at a White Palace restaurant and i said hey you give me that in a movie if you don't had put Ed, eddie deason in this film this is the greatest movie ever but they didn't so you just get a good solid character piece of film and no no harold and kumar either so, no uh, no yeah well speaking of st louis well the star of this film i think the star of the film is john goodman of course the premise of the born yesterday remake is pretty simple you know he plays a rich businessman he comes to washington to basically bribe some politicians and he hires a reporter, played by Don Johnson, to educate his ditzy girlfriend, Melanie Griffiths, so she doesn't embarrass him when she, when people, when all the political insiders ask questions 
Um, shenanigans ensue. As you can imagine, you know, she's totally smart. And she falls in love with her tutor. Um, of course, we have Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith returning to Disney after the 1991 touchstone film Paradise. Melanie Griffith had also done the 1992 Hollywood Pictures film A Stranger Among Us. Whew, missed that one. Thank you for taking the bullet on me that one, Chad. Uh, of course, John Goodman had done Stella for Touchstone and also had done Arachnophobia for Hollywood Pictures. Uh, the supporting cast includes people like Edward Herman, who was did Touchstone film Big Business. And we also get Max Perlick. I almost didn't recognize him. You know, he had been in Can't Buy Me Love and Gross Anatomy. Another one of those great character actors that's probably, probably about the same age that you and I are, right? Uh, probably a few years older, but he's still, I think he's still out there working prolifically, but uh, real quick, I just want to say you you mentioned in the uh, you know the synopsis of this film about a rich person going to Washington to uh, bribe senators. Where do they come up with these stories? Because that is just genius. Cause so far fetched. So far fetched. Yeah. 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 I can't believe it. And it's, like I said, I know it's sad because I know how Hollywood Pictures is capable of doing interesting movies about the Washington scene. Mm-hmm. We got it from our good friend Marty Kaplan, friend of the show and distinguished gentleman. But this one, this movie was just a total mess. I, I tuned out at a certain point, paid attention, but it was like you, it was like worse than like with Mikey in the sense that you knew everything was coming, but it was hard to watch, especially. I, I, you know, the running joke on this podcast has been that Hello Again is one of the worst films we've had to review. And I think Born Yesterday is right down there on that same level. There is nothing. I, other, the only good thing I can say about this film is Edward Herman. Because uh, I just sure. found I found John Goodman's character to be so boorish and kind of over the top uh, to where I couldn't understand why anybody would deal with him in any capacity, even though I understand he's got money and and, you know, he can buy things. But I just thought he was too, too over the top. Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson. I you know, if you go back and listen to the episode where we talked about the movie Paradise where they played a uh, husband and wife dealing with the death of a, of a child. I said, I, that movie showed me the acting chops of both characters that I really liked them in that film. This film, I, I could not believe that they would want to be anywhere near each other because there's just no, <laughs> no, chemi- you know, this is, they just have no chemistry together. And so by the end, when they fall in love, I'm like, really? why and i don't know but yeah. yeah this movie this one was hard to sit through yeah and they're married in real life which is yeah. so funny that you used to text me and said they had no chemistry and i thought that's pretty funny that the last thing in the movie just goes on forever mm. and I, I could not I'm like is this over why is this yeah. movie not over yet and i think i mentioned it to you as well when you were we were texting each other when i watched it that it's it, it's like john goodman is so miscast in this yeah, movie. oh yes and i i think the only reason he got that part because I think of him as this, he's a big teddy bear. He's very lovable. He's a very, very talented actor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned in the original, the original film, that character is played by Broderick Crawford, who was, again, kind of a heftier guy, but who had a very strong, strong persona. And so it made more sense. Like, like if you take a guy who's known for being, for being lovable mm-hmm. and then you make him just a total, total jerk, it was just, it was kind of hard to believe it. And he was just a jerk for jerk's sake. Yeah. You know, it, and it's hard to watch now because I feel like at the same time, there's definitely a lot of like Donald Trump type connections, mm. you know, because this would have come out on the same time that he was being, you know, he was just the corporate raider businessman type. And to think about how many years later he'd come to Washington and even loftier goals. But uh, yeah. All mm. right. Well, the less said about this movie, the better. Mm. But thematically, I wanted to see how I could tie this back to life with Mikey. And 
you know, when I look at the, the whole calendar year, some of these movies are going to be a little bit tricky, and I always hope it's not too far of a stretch. But the one thing that really got me with this movie was that Bellamy Griffith and Christina Vidal, they're both these wisecracking women. They get instruction from a savvy tuner, from a savvy tutor, excuse me. Um, uh, but does it play better as a family film in Life with Mikey or as a romance in Born with Yesterday? What do you think, Jack? Uh, in this version of Born Yesterday, it doesn't play at all. But if you go back and watch the 1950s version, it plays quite well. And I would, would recommend checking that one out. So to answer your question, I have to go with Life with Mikey just by the default of Born Yesterday does not work at all in any sense of the word. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think it was more charming to see to see the character, that Mikey character who had mm -hmm. been through that life as a child star. Whereas I don't think Don Johnson's character has kind of gone through, you know, life as a showgirl. And had you know he's just he's yeah. just kind of schooling her in the ways of life in Washington. But at least Mikey has that has that personal experience yeah. that he can kind of well, pass along. And he doesn't even care about her really knowing anything about Washington. You know, the, the, yeah. I mean, as far as I know, and again, I did tune out the film because it was so unwatchable. So maybe I'm wrong, but it, it seemed to me like he just wanted her there to be the eye candy. And then like, well, okay, Don Johnson's here, smarten her up a little bit so that she doesn't you know, uh, embarrass herself. Um, but, but I, other than that, I, you know, the, we said that there's no chemistry between Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson. There's also no chemistry between Melanie Griffith and, and John Goodman. And yeah. And I, I know one of the reviews that I, I looked up for this film said the only person that she has chemistry with is Edward Herman. And he cares more, <laughs> he seems to care more about her than anybody else in the film. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's there's like one scene in the movie where they, where Melanie Griffith and John Goodman go out dancing, and it's just they yeah. feel like they stuck it in there just so oh. that you can kind of pretend that they have some semblance of a relationship. And so that it's, John Goodman can show off what a great dancer he is, and that's not being wow. sarcastic. That's I wish I could move like John Goodman. He's a hoofer. He's a hoofer. Um, the other uh, thematic connection that I had with Life with Mikey was I was looking at how the Washington D.C. political scene compares with show business. It's very reminiscent, you know. Like how can you game the system? to look best, you know, to gain fame and, and notoriety, you know, I, and I was thinking about this, this idea and I was going to ask you the question, like how easily can an outsider shake things up, whether it be show business or Washington, DC, I feel like as we've gone on through our lives, probably the generation before us, hmm. you, you weren't going to become an actor in, in show business unless you train and you were an actor hmm. and you probably weren't going to be a successful politician unless you started low and did local stuff and you worked your way up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in recent memory, like we have, we have people winning political office that have no political experience. And we have people becoming stars in show business that have never acted mm -hmm. before. So it's just, it's weird to think of like people that, that study their whole lives. You can major in political science, you can major in drama or theater in college. And yet someone could become more famous and, and more well-known without doing any of that just by having whether it be, hell, you can be, have a YouTube channel or you just have a lot of money and you can pay for advertisements and run for office that way, right? Yeah, it's the popularity factor. And, you know, we we said it after uh, visiting the Kennedy Museum in uh, in Boston and looking at the, uh, you know, the, the results from that election. And one of the things that they said, you know, helped Kennedy that year was being the first televised debate and Nixon not – wearing makeup, not looking good. So Kennedy came off looking better. And I think ever since then, 
You know, it's just, you know, you can go to Bill Clinton playing the saxophone on Arsenio Hall and George Bush being like, ah, MTV kids, eh, we don't need them. Eh, Smithers, release the hounds. <laughs> um, I don't really know why George Bush sounds like Marty, Monty Burns, but, uh, but you know, and then, yes, and now you look at everything. I, I think it's, and going to your point, YouTube, TikTok, all this stuff where if you get enough followers, then people don't really care about talent anymore. It's just name you know and look at hollywood remaking things today yeah you know it's built-in audience or name recognition so they're like just remake it people will go see it because they know what it is well like you said and then you've got like a situation in like with mikey where you have the character who's a pickpocket who falls into the business but it just kind of shows you how easy it is to do and it's probably even easier now with the proliferation of social media and whatnot Yeah. yeah All right. Well, the other movie we want to look at, which was actually produced by Walt Disney Pictures, and it came out on April 2nd, one week after Born Yesterday, and it's called The Adventures of Huck Finn. From Walt Disney Pictures, a boy named Huck, a runaway named Jim. All men should be free. Two unlikely partners on a courageous adventure down the river. That slave is worth $400. Come on! What they wanted was freedom. Oh, busting Jim out. What they shared was a bond that couldn't be broken. My friend Jim. It's Mark Twain's great American epic, The Adventures of Huck Finn, rated PG. This is based on the classic novel by Mark Twain, and the film itself was written and directed by Stephen Summers. You know, he, of course, would later go on to make a name for himself with the Mummy franchise. But at this point, he'd only had one film credit to his name, and that was a 1989 indie film that he'd written and directed called Catch Me If You Can, not to be confused with the Spielberg film. Um, the premise is, is, well, if you've ever read the book, unfortunately, I have not. I know it's one of those great American novels. Uh, but Elijah Wood comes back to Disney, and he was one of the stars of the Touchstone film Paradise with Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson. He plays the title character, Huck Finn, who befriends a runaway slave played by Courtney B. Vance as the character of Jim. I got to tell you, he is outstanding (laughs) in this movie. Yeah, and he helps, and Huck helps him on his potential journey to freedom. I did read that this was the sixth different big screen adaptation of Huck Finn, at least talky versions. There were versions in 1931, 39, 55, 60, and a musical version in 1974. Um, I will say that this this movie that I actually watched before we took our pause. So as we record this, today is actually September the 1st, as Chad and I record this. Uh, but my wife and I watched The Adventures of Huck Finn right around the time of Juneteenth. It was like mid-June. And it was very profound to see this movie. I, I did not know much about it. I knew there was a slave and I knew there was Huck Finn was this little ne'er-do-well. But to watch it around the time that we were, you know, commemorating the abolishment of slavery and whatnot, it it really hit me a little bit differently. And maybe that's what that is kind of like yet another movie that had heavy subject matter around the the time that I watched it. But uh, I mean, did you, did you read the book? Did you ever have to, when you were in school? Uh, I am, I'm trying to think, I don't know if I read Huck Finn or just Tom Sawyer. I know I I did. Uh, We had speech contests in uh, grade school. And I remember uh, one year, uh, a friend and I did a selection from Huck Finn. Uh, oh, don't ask okay. me which part and don't ask me to quote anything because I do not know. But, uh, you know, and I grew up 30 miles, 35 miles away from Hannibal, Missouri, which is the birthplace of uh, of Samuel Clemens. And it's where this movie is set. And, um, you know, so I've been to 
his house and the houses that were Tom Sawyer's, Becky Thatcher's, and and whatnot. So I'm I am familiar with the the Tom Sawyer Huck Finn legacy, if you will. Yeah, and then if if any of our listeners are ever going to be in the Hartford, Connecticut area, I can tell you that Chad and I have mm-hmm. both been to the Mark Twain Museum, which is a really really great place to visit as yeah. well. Yeah, it's it's funny because it seems like if you're going to have to, it's a, it's a popular beloved novel. Every once in a while, you need just that perfect. Uh, actor at the right age and Elijah Wood is great like he's he he really nails that part I mean again I have not read the book so I can only assume but yeah I really wound up enjoying it yeah and I think from a thematic connection if you go back to like with Mikey you know between the Angie Vega character and also Huck Finn you you have these precocious children who are wise beyond their years you know they're about the same age and I thought it was funny Chad I was going to ask you like where exactly did Huck and Angie gain such knowledge i've always i'm always so curious about that maybe i don't maybe i don't give myself enough credit for when i was that age was i a, a, you know a wise cracking smart aleck like how where how are they getting these smarts well i think they got the street smarts you know they went to the school of hard knocks and uh that's uh neither one of them wants to be in school and i think angie says it in you know in um in, in life with mikey where she questions Michael J. Fox about either way he questions her or she questions him about like what what what's this this and this and and she's like I know this stuff why do I need to know more and I think yeah. you know and I think both of them Angie being uh, you know her dad is gone she's being raised by a sister that doesn't really care about her Huck is an orphan he doesn't really you know have it, parental guidance looking out for him so they just have to they have to be smart otherwise you know they're uh, they're gonna end up. Uh, probably I don't know where they're going to end up, but it's not going to be in a good place if they're not smart. <laughs> well, yeah, and that was the other thing I was looking at on, for my thematic connection yeah. was like I thought you know her street hustling and his like and Huck's like mountain of lies yeah. where they were cute, but it was also a little bit concerning, and it kind of shows you how easily kids can get away with things just by being kids. You know, it was I mean as movie characters, sure, it was kind of fun to watch. You know, and one of the reasons I liked like with Mikey so much, and also I also really really enjoyed Huck Finn. But you know, if this was happening in real life, I I would be a little bit a little troublesome, I think, if I thought too long and hard about it. Yeah, well, I believe it was the great Alan Funt who once said, "Kids say the darndest things," and you know, you just kids can be kids, and and we let them be that way, and find it amusing, and then when they grow up and I'm going off on a tangent here that I don't want to go down. So I'll just say that, yes, <laughs> Huck Finn, good, good film. Elijah Wood, you know, he's, he's been around for years. We have a friend that is a good friend of his. Uh, he still won't yeah. answer our calls and come on the show, but uh, soon he's still a great actor. He's still a good actor. I won't, yeah. I won't critique him too hard for not returning my calls. Yeah. Well, well, I, I, we always have to wrap up by looking at the, the box office performance of the films. And, you know, we'll start with Life with Mikey. As I mentioned, it was released on June the 4th and it opened in seventh place with only three point six million dollars. Uh, the only other film that opened against it was a movie that we're going to discuss on our next episode from Hollywood Pictures, a movie called Guilty as Sin. Um, as far as Disney films that were on the charts, the only other movie other than Guilty of Sin was Super Mario Brothers, which is from Hollywood Pictures, and that was in sixth place. So you had Guilty of Sin was in third, Mario Brothers six, Life of Mikey seven, three of the top seven for Disney, still not bad. The number one film at the box office, this is June, this is your big summer movie season, was the Sylvester Stallone vehicle Cliffhanger. 
Um, and then in the second week, Life with Mikey does stay in seventh place, but that was the week that Jurassic Park opened and it begins its dominance of the chart, you know. And then by the third week that Life with Mikey comes out, uh, after Life with Mikey had come out, we get Last Action Hero, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and Life with Mikey drops to 10th place and then it drops off the charts basically after only three weeks. It only grosses $12.4 million in its entire theatrical run. I couldn't find any budget info, but I mean, I'm hoping it didn't didn't lose too much because I was a little shocked, Chad. I was surprised it only made $12 million. With, the, with the star power of Michael J. Fox, but I don't know if it was just because it seems like the, you know, the charts were dominated by big action stars mm-hmm. like Arnold and Stallone. I was also noticed, yeah, there's a handful of comedies all out at the same time. You had Made in America, the Whoopi Goldberg, Ted Danson movie. You had the awesome Ivan Reitman film Dave with, with Kevin Klein. You also had Hot Shots Part, Hot Shots Part Due. You know, and even with the charisma of Michael G. Fox, you know, it, it doesn't really land with audiences. And I'm wondering, would it have been better served if it was released later in the summer rather than June, like right when the kids got out of school? I would say maybe earlier before they got out of school. And I just think, I you know, I, I, I think this probably is just a Michael J. Fox character that wasn't uh, aimed at his target audience. And then, like you said, when you, especially with, with Jurassic Park coming out, just, you know, nothing. I don't even think counter-programming is really going to work against that film. So, uh, you know, and you look at, uh, I know I'm going to jump ahead to you for a second with his next film for Love or Money. And I'm trying to think, mm-hmm. I think Greed also came out within like a year or two. Like, yeah. and, and even Hard, I don't think Hardway did really like, you know, I think he was just going through a phase of of trying to be more, uh, trying to find out what his post-Alex B. Keaton, post-Marty McFly career path was going to be. And, and it ultimately yeah. leads him back to television. Yeah, Spin City was kind of his resurgence. But I think yeah. all those movies he made before then, you're right, it didn't do as well. Um, you mentioned For Love or Money. This, that movie was supposed to have been released in July of 1993. And supposedly, you know, Universal Pictures saw the box office returns of Life with Mikey. And they pushed the film to October because they also wanted to get away from the other summer blockbusters as well. And I did see that For Love or Money, even, even with the October release, it only grossed $11.1 million. So and I, don't, even I don't know if I've seen that one. I'll have to look it up. Uh, it doesn't ring a bell. But I will also say that all these movies that, that Michael J. Fox did, they are good movies. They just maybe didn't sure. find an audience in the theater. And so I would highly recommend checking them out uh, if they're available on any streaming service, especially Midnight Madness, which I know comes oh. several years before. But I have to get another plug in for that film. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, for Lover Money, I remember it when it came out. You know, the, mm. the, he stars, it's like a romantic comedy starring uh, Gabrielle Anwar. But mm. uh, I did find I didn't know until I researched it for this podcast that it was directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. And mm. that actually makes me want to watch it even more because I just got done watching a fantastic series on Apple TV that Barry Sonnenfeld directed every episode of. And it's called Schmigadoon. And I, I cannot recommend that one enough as well. Um, well, we look at okay, the box office for Born Yesterday. So you mentioned it was released on March 26th. It opened in second place with $5.9 million. The other films that opened that weekend we had a movie called Hear No Evil, not to be confused with the Kane, mm-hmm. WWE, Christina Vidal, See No Evil. Uh, there's also a movie called Married to It, which I m- vaguely remember that. Mm-hmm. And another movie that I do not recall, which is called The Opposite Sex and How to Live with Them. Uh, the Disney films that were on the chart at the same time were A Far Off Place was in 10th place, Aladdin was in 11th place, and Homeward Bound was in 13th place. So Disney had a little bit of a presence at the time. The number one film at the box office the weekend that Born Yesterday opened was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, 
which again, I never saw any of them in the theater. I saw the first one on video. I've never seen the sequels. <laughs> uh, I mean, second week born yesterday drops from second to fifth place. And that follows the releases of the films cop in half. Uh, as mentioned, the adventures of Huck Finn and also the crush with Alicia Silverstone. Uh, and it's third week. It drops all the way to 10th. You get new films like indecent proposal and the sandlot. Uh, it drops off the box office charts after only one month and ends up grossing just $17.9 million. I couldn't see any budget info on that, but I wonder if that was a little bit more expensive. You got big stars. Mm-hmm. There's some location photography in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I, that couldn't have been a that couldn't have made money for the studio, most likely. Uh, I give him credit because I really thought it was, you know, it's tucked nicely into this comedy void, which is why I think it allowed it to finish in second place in its opening weekend. Because I looked at the other comedies that were on it against it. It was like, Groundhog Day had been out for nearly two months, and the Chris Rock hip-hop comedy CB4 was probably a little bit too niche. But, you know, and then the star power probably helped it as well. But as you you probably mentioned, based on our reviews, the the negative reviews that all the critics had for Born Yesterday probably killed its ability to have any staying power or legs, as we like to say. Um, And another film we mentioned was uh, The Adventures of Huck Finn. It was released on April 2nd. It finished as well. It finished in second place, just like uh, Born Yesterday did. It made $5 million in its opening weekend. The other films that opened against it, I just said, uh, Cop and a Half, which finished in first place, The Crush, which was third, and also the Danny DeVito heavy drama, Jack the Bear, which finished ninth place. Uh, The Disney films that were on the chart at the time would have been Born Yesterday in fifth place and Aladdin in 15th place. Uh, In its second week, it drops to fourth place. It gets dropped pushed down by Indecent Proposal and Sandlot. Uh, but I did think it was interesting. I looked at that, that second weekend, which would have been the weekend of April 9th, 1993. I Just out of curiosity, I, I Googled it, and I found that that was Easter weekend. And that was kind of interesting that that weekend, the, there were kids' movies that were ranked from number two through number five. You had The Sandlot, Cop and a Half, Huck Finn, and Ninja, Ninja Turtles 3. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking like, Spring break always seems to happen around the Easter holiday, right? So that was – give them credit for putting – for Disney put a kids movie out there. And even though there were other ones out there, I guess enough kids were out of school that probably helped pop up the box office at the time. Yeah. Um, in its third week, Huck Finn drops to sixth place following the releases of films like Boiling Point and Benny and June. You know, I was just thinking, spring break's over now. You know, mm-hmm. the adults are going back to theaters. Benny and June's kind of a comedy for adults. Boiling Point, the heavy – uh, Wesley Snipes action thriller. Um, but Huck Finn does drop off the box office charts. It, it goes a little bit longer than Born Yesterday. It makes it a little over a month. And it grosses $24.1 million. And the budget was only 6.5. So, hey, there we go. Disney's uh, in the uh, black on that one. You know, which I give him credit. It was an impressive showing from a film that doesn't really have any stars. You know, I think with Mark Twain, the only real name recognition of this movie, you know, I don't know what else Courtney B. Vance had been in at that time. But, you know, and I, as I said, it was perfectly timed to coincide with kids being out of school around spring break, you know. And it was also like you were talking about with, with Life with Mikey, you know, is it best to avoid that crowded summer marketplace? I think Life with Mikey might have been better to come out maybe in that April, beginning of May, but while the, unless you're trying to get the kids out when they're out of school, though, right? See, that, that, yeah, we're, we're not programmers at, at movie studios. I can only imagine if you've got a movie that, that like Huck Finn that you're aiming towards kids and then Life with Mikey that you, you're aiming towards adults and kids and you're hoping kids will see it, you got spring break and you got the summer. Do you, got, do you try to aim for that time or do you put it out and hope that people are going to go when they're still in school? I think I would go with 
especially with life with Mikey, I would go when they're in school because then you'd hope that the kids would go back and talk to their friends about it. And that word of mouth would lead other people to go. Whereas if they're on yeah. summer break, they may not talk to uh, their classmates. So True, true. I, I, I wonder if, if Huck Finn did well at the box office because kids had book reports and didn't want to read. And so they just said, we'll just watch the movie version instead. All right. Well, I was like looking to see if there was any awards consideration. Life with Mikey did have it a little bit. It had four nominations at the Young Artist Awards. Christina Vidal wins both Most Promising Young Actress and Best Youth Actress Leading Role in a Motion Picture Comedy, which she ties with Thora Birch in the Disney film Hocus Pocus. Uh, it's also nominated for Outstanding Family Motion Picture Comedy. It loses to Sleepless in Seattle. Now, i got to chat. I've never seen Sleepless in Seattle, but... <laughs> It's interesting that for a young artist award about family motion pictures, isn't there only like one kid in that movie? Like, uh, there's like, two. I, is there two? Okay. Yeah. I, I always think uh, Tom Hanks's son is like the only character I can think of that's like a young character that I've seen in the in the uh, promotional materials. Mm-hmm. But and then David Krumholtz, God bless him, he's nominated for best youth actor leading role in a motion picture comedy. Fortunately, he loses to Mason Gamble, the star of Dennis the Menace. I, I don't remember. I remember the movie vaguely. Wasn't that? Is that Walter Matthau? Walter Matthau, yeah. And, and uh, I, I don't remember Mason Gamble. Though. I mean, he does a good job as Dennis the Menace, but I, I think David Crumholtz got the last laugh on that one. Yeah, I, I would like to. I'm sure he's got some awards of his own. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, on the other end of the spectrum, we do have some awards for Born Yesterday, but it is a razzy nomination for Melanie Griffith as Worst Actress. She doesn't win. She does lose to Madonna in Body of Evidence. Ugh, I saw that movie in the. I saw. I saw Body of Evidence in the theater. Oh, <laughs> uh, but Melanie Griffith had just won the year before for. I, I guess the Razzie does that thing where they. It's, you're not nominated for one movie. You're nominated for the year's worth of movies. And well, so, I think both of those movies were terrible. So that's why it's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She she won for Shining Through and also the Hollywood Picture Stranger Among Us. Uh, and unfortunately, that Melanie Griffith also had three worst actress nominations in four years because she'd also gotten a nomination for Bonfire of the Vanities in 1991. I think, Chad, you mentioned you'd watched that recently. I love it. I know people don't. People hate it because they love the book so much. But I love Brian De Palma. I like a lot of the stars in that film. And it's really it's, it's an interesting movie. It's, it's a different premise. It's interesting. But I think it just it, 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 it's very, very slow and doesn't get to where it's trying to go in a sensible me i don't know i just i i probably need to give another shot because i text i told you that i'd started watching it like three months ago and then got sidetracked and then just picked up 20 minutes in and watched it and it just i it's a great cast and i haven't read the book so i don't know i have anything to compare it to i just i just found it to be kind of a slog to get through I, I can understand that, but again, I just I, I will defend a lot of the Palman films if I can. Uh, sadly for Melanie Griffith, she's going to get another Razzie nomination in 1995 for mm-hmm. her next Touchstone film as well. Sometimes I feel like, especially with the Razzies, they just pick on somebody and yeah. just run with it through their entire career. Yeah. All right. Well, we always, I always like to do at the end of our episodes is to look and see if the movies we discussed today would fit the Disney ideal of the singles and doubles that Jeffrey Katzenberg had talked about it. I don't know about you, Chad. I thought absolutely. You know, you've got this safe sort of star vehicle in Life with Mikey that has a reliable supporting cast. You know, it's destined to make a star out of its young actress. You also get in Huck Finn, you get a strong adaptation of a literary classic. It was the first time it had been the first adaptation in, you know, several decades. And you also have another star in the making with Elijah Wood. And then for as bad as it may have been, 
you know, we get a remake of a popular comedy featuring some big name stars of the time. So that's kind of what the way the studio system was going at the time. So I definitely can't fault Disney for any of these choices. No, I can't. I, I'm curious, you know, why and maybe she did. And I just don't know it. Cause I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but why Disney didn't try to do another movie with Christina Vidal, like coming off the, the modern yeah. success of life with Mikey, you know, or maybe they, because it didn't do as well as they had hoped, maybe they just cut their losses and, and moved on to uh, waiting for Billy Ray Cyrus's kid to grow up. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. And it kind of makes because especially when we've seen how many times that Disney will bring people back, whether it be Touchstone Hollywood or Walt Disney Films. And I think like that's something I'm going to look out for in the next couple of years is if you see any movies that have 12, 13, 14 year old female roles we're gonna we're gonna have to ask each other. Would Christina Vidal been a good been a good part? Especially if it's if it's not a good performance, where we mm-hmm. can say, oh man, if only they've got Christina Vidal for this part. <laughs> uh, what was like to end with? Like I said, uh, if anybody wants to watch these movies as well that we've discussed, uh, I can tell you that Life with both Life with Mikey and The Adventures of Huck Finn are streaming on Disney Plus, not a sponsor. And Born Yesterday is streaming on the wonderful website Hoopla, which is the streaming service through the public library system. So what's coming up on our next episode? Well, we're going to get some dramas. We're going to get some dramas that are involving the performing arts, as well as domestic abuse and how it's handled in the legal system. There can be some real stretches here, Chad, as I try to link mm-hmm. a couple of Hollywood pictures back to a, a Touchstone film. What movies are we going to be talking about? It? I guess you're just going to have to tune in next time to find out. For my co-host, Chad Smart. You can find him on Twitter, at Chad Smart. He's also the proprietor of the Positive Cynicism Podcasting Network, the hashtag PCPN. Uh, my name is Mike DeKalb. As mentioned, I'm on Twitter, at Mike DeKalb. I also run the Out of Touchstone Twitter account. It's at Out of Touchstone. If you want to uh, shoot me an email, it's out of touchstone at gmail.com. And, you know, I never mention it on this show just because I assume people know how these things work. But if you want to leave us a review on the uh, on the Apple Podcasts, I, I'm more than happy to to <laughs> to receive them you know sometimes i always wonder like is anybody listening to this show i mean i i download i I got statistics that i look at and i assume someone is and it was really touching to have someone reach out when we were in the middle of our break saying hey are you guys coming back it's like oh i guess someone is waiting for us to put out another episode but uh i think that was we might have had that behind us i'm settling in I, i i mentioned i moved to the suburbs i got a lot of time at home now and so i'm like i'm ready to start watching some more movies on these streaming services and talking about them with one of my oldest friends chat so i hope that uh, you're ready for the next half of the 1993 slates you know i don't know if i have anything clever to say i'll just say it's great to be back doing the show i've missed it uh you know like we said unfortunately life life is life but going forward i am looking forward to getting through 1993 getting into 1994 on touchstone and i'm sure that uh talk to me next episode and i may recant that that statement or i might just be like can we get to 1994 quicker can we just go can we just jump to 94 (laughs) but because i've seen one of the movies already and uh yeah um we're gonna play nice we said positivity right i'm all about the positivity Mm -hmm. so i will say that it has closing credits yay that's all i got (laughs) (laughs) well like i said it's good to be back and i'll give a shout out to maven maven the boy for the uh kick in the behind to ask us where we've been and you know, now we're back and we hope you enjoy. This is out of touchstone and we're out of time. You're out of touch. I'm out of time. Out of Touchstone is a Honey Nerds production. For more information, visit outoftouchstone.com. 
Like and subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening. So, you're cool, I'm cool, we're cool. Thank you. Good night.